0: Is the word of the Lord. Morning, everybody, here in church and at home. Um, I wonder whether any of you are into the social media thing, you know, Facebook, Twitter. Instagram, thisagram, thatagram, the otheragram, there seems to be loads of it everywhere. Uh, and if you are into any of that stuff, you'll have come across this whole idea about liking stuff and following people. And it's really simple. You just find somebody or some organization maybe that interests you, and you think, oh, I'll follow them. And you click the button, and as if by magic, you're following them. And then you can sit back in your chair, and you can look at your screen, and you can wait for them to fill it with loads of stuff to waste your time. Oh, sorry. Loads of things that are interesting and fascinating. And if you get too much stuff, and you think, according to your preference, oh, there's too many videos of cats here, or there's too many videos of dogs here, you can simply press the button that says, unfollow. Simples, as the meerkats say. Straightforward, isn't it? We can follow and we can unfollow. And in our passage today, we see some following and we see some unfollowing. And you may remember, uh, if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, that we've been seeing how Jesus interacted with What uh, John described as the Jews, the group of people that were really not the whole Jewish race, but the religious leaders. And they were grumbling, grumbling about what Jesus claimed because he said he'd come down from heaven. And that unless they eat his flesh and drink his blood, they would have no life in them. Uh, you'll need to go back to listen to the recording of last week's sermon to pick up the significance of all of that but now let's just think about the offense that those words would have caused and we can imagine their reaction can't we hang on a minute this is mary and joseph's son how dare he claim? That he came down from heaven. And how dare he say we must drink his blood? Has he not read the scriptures that say you mustn't drink blood? And eat his flesh? What is he on? Surely he knows these terrible things are forbidden. I wonder if uh, this chapter had been the next Jed Mercurio series on telly. You know, the guy that wrote Line of Duty. Whether it would have come up at the beginning of the show... This broadcast contains content that some viewers may find offensive or disturbing. Jesus was getting a reaction. And now we move on to this week's passage uh, for a moment, leaving behind those Jewish leaders and focusing on two other players in the story. The disciples, verse 60 to 66, and the 12, verses 67 to 71. And as we consider these two groups, we'll see some contrasts between them. Firstly, we'll look at the disciples depart from Jesus. And secondly, we'll go on to see the twelve trust in Jesus. Now, in this uh, passage, the word disciples doesn't mean the twelve. ...because they're specified differently. It's just this big crowd of people following Jesus... ...since they've seen all these miraculous signs... ...of the feeding of the 5,000 and so on... ...that we read previously in in, in the, the chapter. They were followers. They'd metaphorically clicked their blue button. And they followed Jesus because they thought... ...hey, this guy's interesting. Let's see what happens... But then they discovered over time that uh, their expectations were all a bit wrong, really, about who Jesus was and why he'd come. I wonder whether you've ever had that. You have those expectations of something that are really, really high. You know when uh, a friend of you says, have you seen whatever the movie is? And you go, no, is it any good? I say, it's amazing. I've never seen a film like it. You must watch it. So you go to the supermarket, you get your bottle of pop, you get your crisps, you get the fire stoked up, you put your dressing gown on, you snuggle up on the sofa with your family, and you watch this film, and you're halfway in, and you get that sense of people that you're watching it with looking at each other going, what's actually this all about? What's going on? I thought this was supposed to be brilliant. And maybe even you you go through to the end of it, and then you think, well, that was an hour and a half, I'm never getting back. Or maybe you just give up and you think, do you know what? What was my friend on recommending that film? My expectations were high, but actually it seems somewhat misplaced. And so with their misplaced expectations, a bit like the Jews last week, this crowd, the disciples, were grumbling Their comment in verse sixty, "This is a hard teaching. who can accept it? it? doesn't suggest they didn't understand it. It wasn't difficult in that sense. It suggests they didn't like it. It wasn't as they had expected. You see, they'd got all excited, hadn't they, when they'd seen the one they thought was going to be the Messiah. Do you remember when they were going to try and make him king by force because he'd fed 5,000 people? In fact, probably he'd fed 10,000 people because the 5,000 mentioned were the men and then there were all the women and all the children. Imagine their thought. He can give us food. We're always hungry. And those Romans are pressing us. He'll get rid of them for us, won't he? Surely. But now the reality was beginning to set in. Jesus doesn't seem quite the way they wanted him to be. And now he's even saying some really offensive things about eating flesh and drinking blood and coming down from heaven. It's surely too much to bear, isn't it? That somebody is claiming to be God Although I can actually see him stood right there in front of me. And Jesus is as blunt as ever, isn't he? Verse 62. In effect, he's saying, you think that was offensive? Well, what are you going to think if you see me, having come down from heaven, ascending back up into heaven? And we see the reasoning behind it in verse 64. Jesus knew their hearts he knew who would believe and he knew who wouldn't believe you see what they lacked wasn't knowledge about him it was faith we saw that last week didn't we they lacked the faith to believe in verse 65 that their acceptance of jesus would begin with their father enabling them to believe They lacked faith. They lacked faith that there is a Saviour who can give life. The Saviour whose words, verse 63, are full of the Spirit and life. That's God, the Holy Spirit, who Jeanette was telling us about a few minutes ago. But as we've already said, their hearts were hard. That's why they found Jesus' teaching unacceptable so how could they possibly receive this life because the reality was they'd set themselves against receiving this life they'd made themselves unwilling to believe in Jesus because he wasn't fulfilling their expectations and so into that Jesus speaks in verse 63 the second part As if he's saying, pay attention here. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. You see, this life, the source of it is the very words of Jesus himself. Not just the words of some carpenter's son, son of Mary and Joseph. But the words of the one who is the word. John chapter 1 verse 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God who in John 1 14 became flesh and lived among us and we have seen his glory the glory as of a father's only son full of grace and truth that's the words they're hearing. But there's tragedy in this passage isn't there and it begins with a tiny tiny little word in the beginning of verse 63 yet yet there are some of you who do not believe and with tragic results the yet kind of implies almost it's it's extraordinary with all this goodness all this life isn't it incredible that you should choose to harden your hearts against it. And the great tragedy is, from this time, we're told, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They let their finger wander to the little blue button and clicked unfollow. And they were in the very presence of the Saviour, who is the source of life. Despite all they'd seen and heard, they turned their back on him. And just briefly stepping aside from the passage for a moment by way of application, I think this is all too common today. I have a number of friends who I've known for a very long time, some since I was in my teens, who've allowed the noise of the world to drag them away from the truth of the gospel, to drift away from the Lord Jesus, to the point that they no longer believe the gospel. They have, like the disciples, turned back and no longer follow him. And it it seems to begin so slowly, almost imperceptibly. I'm busy today, I've not really got time to read the Bible and pray. I'll I'll get to it later. And then the same happens tomorrow. Tomorrow. And the same happens the next day. Now, of course, there are times, and I'm very aware of them myself, when it just feels too hard to pray. We can't find the words. Life is too difficult. We're under too much stress or pain or grief or hurt. Friends, that's when we most need our brothers and sisters around us. And it's when we need to cry out to the Lord in lament. It's what the ladies were hearing about yesterday in the hive session. It's that time when we come to the Lord and we say, I can't cope. Lord, help me. Or maybe something that helps begin that drift can be something like, oh, look, that's a good thing. I'd love to go and do that. Ah, It's on Sunday morning. That means I'm not going to be able to go to church. Never mind, it's only once. It'll be fine. But then you want to do it again and you want to do it again. Of course, don't get me wrong, sometimes we can't go to church. There are many reasons why that's so. I'm not talking, though, about those here. I'm talking about those situations where those events in life actually aren't reasons you can't go to church, but they're excuses that you give to justify to yourself not coming to be part of the fellowship. And so little by little, you discover that you've shifted your priorities until the priority of meeting your Christian brothers and sisters and meeting with the Lord in his word fall off the bottom of the page. And as an aside, just bear this in mind, by the way, that, of course, you'll be sad, won't you, if you see your Christian friends doing that? Falling away. Don't let that rock your faith. You know, even those who heard Jesus firsthand, here it is in this passage. Even those who'd seen him feed thousands of people with five loaves and two fishes. Even the people who'd seen him walking on the water turned away and didn't follow him anymore. Those are the times when you feel shaken by those things that happen. That you need to remember Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are burdened and weary, and I will give you rest. And so in that midst of that pressure to conform, to go with the flow, to catch up with society, to do something, anything that stops you meeting with the Lord's people, we need to stop and listen to the question of Jesus in verse 67. You don't want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. I wonder how you might respond to that question of Jesus right now, today. Would you be tempted, like that crowd of followers, to press the unfollow button, and turn away? Or will you be like Peter and the 12 in verse 68 and stand firm? And that brings us to our second and slightly shorter point. The 12 trust Jesus. Verse 67 to 71. Now the 12 are the 12 apostles, the 12 men that Jesus had specifically chosen to be his close friends and followers. We often call them the disciples, don't we? So in this passage, we have to get our terminology right to know who we're talking about. So here we have the 12. Let's look at their response to Jesus's question. Remember, Jesus has asked, you don't want to leave me too, do you? And speaking for them, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Wow. Here's Peter. Peter, the uneducated fisherman. Often impetuous, wasn't he? Usually outspoken. He's grasped the truth that even the religious leaders couldn't wrap their heads around. Or perhaps wouldn't wrap their heads around jesus you have the words of eternal life you are the holy one of god and notice by the way just just as uh, out of interest how he doesn't ask where would we go no he says to whom shall we go you see he really gets it they have jesus They're in a relationship with Jesus. Who else would they go to? You see, this isn't about some impersonal, distant deity who's too big and awesome and holy for anybody to to know. And it's not about some inanimate thing that we might bow down to or look at while we say prayers or something. It's a relationship. It's a relationship with the man, the word, who became flesh and dwelt among us, who knows what it's like to be human, who knows what it's like to be tempted, to be hurt, to grieve to be vilified and scorned, to be tortured and, yeah, crucified. But then, of course, gloriously risen and ascended. It's all about relationship with him, the man who the 12 knew, the 12 walked with, the 12 learned from, they had fellowship with. It's the one whom they had chosen to follow, After he had chosen them and invited them to follow him. You see, he told the disciples, that large crowd of followers in verse 63, about real life in the spirit. But they refused to listen. But the twelve heard it and they got it. We're going nowhere without you, Jesus. Of course, Jesus knows the challenges, doesn't he, that they and we are faced with. He knows the temptations of the world trying to drag us away from walking with him to follow the crowd. There's two things I want us to notice from the passage in that that context. To give you confidence when those temptations occur. Confidence to trust in Jesus when life gets really messy. So that you can be sure that he will hold you and carry you through. That he is big enough when you cry out to him and strong enough and able enough and kind enough. To see you through those tough times of anxiety and struggle. And The first thing I want us to see is in verse 44 which takes us back into the passages over the last couple of weeks. Jesus said no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and i will raise them up at the last day let me read that again for you no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and i will raise them up at the last day that's something that's really important that jesus said it's obviously really important because he repeated it reminding the disciples of it in verse 65 in today's passage but i want you to see how encouraging that verse is if the father is the one who makes it possible to come to jesus by drawing you enabling you to come then he's clearly able to keep us safe when we do come not just for today But as the verse tells us, until the last day, when we rise again. In other words, you don't actually go and find him. He comes and finds you. And then he keeps you wrapped in his arms. If if things get tricky this week for you, just have a look at that verse. And just be reminded, trust the scripture the lord has found you and he has you secondly um, in verse 70 we see god's providence at work by which we mean kind of the way god continues to work within the world that he's created bringing about his, his purposes and keeping everything going you see jesus chose the 12 as his apostles even though verse 70 he knew that one of them Judas was going to betray him why would you choose somebody who if you knew they were going to mess things up for you if you were an employer and there were interviews and at interview you discovered somebody saying the reason I want to come and work for you is I want to bring down your company so that my dad's company will succeed better you wouldn't give him the job would you But it was God's way of bringing about his purposes for your salvation and mine. Fulfilling all those prophecies from the Old Testament. Just as he chose the twelve to be the people who followed him, so he chose us to be people who follow him, despite the sinfulness of our nature. So take comfort in Christ, friends. Don't turn your back. Don't press the blue button to unfollow. Run to him. Because right now, the world is a pretty shaky place, isn't it? Politically, it's pretty shaky. You look at the news about what's going on in many places around the world, even in our own country. You think about the pandemic and the health challenges. Just look at society as a whole and the hurt. And the pain and the unpleasantness that is there. And look at the the human relationships that you're aware of that are frail and fickle and difficult. Who else can you trust? Where can you turn to? Who is really, when it comes to it, reliable enough? Strong enough? Kind enough? to guide you through those situations, through those hurts, through those anxieties that confront you every day. The message of this passage is that it is Jesus, the only solid ground. Lord Jesus, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. Praise God. Amen.